Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Confer Culture brought to you by Timothy Theories, the podcast where we talk about the topics that many of us are passionate about. I'm your host Chris Murphy and this week I'm going to be talking about one of my uh, more well-liked, although not quite as well-liked as some of the other shows that I've watched or have gone over in the past on this very podcast, uh, science fiction TV shows, Battlestar Galactica. So I just finished re-watching Battlestar Galactica probably late last week. I decided to re-watch it just because I had... Um, my memories of it were quite fond, but I remembered really hating the ending. And so I wanted to go back and give it another shot just to see if... Just to see if... I would think something different about the ending. I, I I didn't think I would because the ending is quite spiritual, and I I as I've gotten older, I've gotten less and less that way. More and more atheist as I've gotten older, which is funny. But at any rate, uh, I didn't think I was going to like the ending anymore. But I decided to give it another shot because I remember the bulk of the rest of the series being really good and I remember uh, liking a lot of the characters and a lot of the storylines uh, the various shades of gray and things like that the interesting moral decisions so I decided to go back and give it a rewatch so I'm going to talk about that th this week a little bit and I'm going to just uh, I'll give my thoughts on what I think the overall quality of it is and how much I like it or whether or not I like it. <laughs> uh, so you'll just, I guess you'll just have to kind of like stay tuned for that as we go through. So just to kind of start off things uh, really quickly here, it's for those who don't know, and I'm sure everybody does, it's a reimaging of the 1978 series of the same name. Now that only lasted one season. The only few things that I remember about it uh, are the costume design was horrible. The special effects were bad. The dialogue was extremely dated. Like, I remember a character saying to another character, can you dig it? Which was, like, very 70s. And I remember uh, the annoying kid character and the sort of animatronic stuffed animal pet he had, which was very strange, that kid uh, being Boxley. Which they actually did bring back for the miniseries and one episode of season one and then they quickly realized that it didn't belong in this show. Uh, I don't think it was a commentary on whether or not it was a bad character. It was more that it just didn't fit with this version of the show because this version of the show, as I mentioned already, it's very uh, Shades of Grey and, you know, morally sort of in between. So it kind of just didn't belong. So that, like I said, that, that show only lasted one season uh, oh, and uh, I, one other thing I remember I should say is that uh, um, the woman who played Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman, was in that show, and I can't remember her name for the life of me. I'm sure I could look it up, but I don't actually care enough to because I never liked that show either. Uh, it was a pretty famous show in the mid-90s. I think she's done some other films, but, like, I, again, I could, couldn't be bothered to go look it up. I think the original show was actually pretty awful. Uh, it's a dated science fiction TV show, which was probably decent in its time, but it, um, and I think like my dad maybe preferred the original to this new one, but I think it's more nostalgia than anything, but I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Again, this is just my opinion, but like I said, I, I watched some of it when they ran a marathon back in the day. 
before the kind of the premiere of one of the seasons on the space the canadian uh, science fiction channel i think it's since renamed but that's besides the point um I just saw a few episodes and it's it's not very good, at least in my opinion anyway. So people complain that the original is better. I just, I don't know. I don't know what you want out of TV, <laughs> I guess. Like, I'm not really sure what, what to do with that. But yeah, there there it is. So this version of the show ran from 2003 to 2009. Uh, the original miniseries uh, aired in 2003 and then the subsequent first season. It did so well on sci-fi that uh, they picked it up and started, uh, they picked it up and went to series fairly quickly. And uh, the first season aired in 2004. Uh, the reason why there's so many years in between, like it seems like it should have been a five or six series show, uh season show sorry but uh part of that is because of the miniseries for one and uh there was uh razor which detailed some of the happenings aboard pegasus before they met up with galactica and i'll get to that a little a little later so there was that direct to i believe it aired actually on on sci-fi and then it was released to home video uh, and it uh, came out in between seasons and there was also I don't know if anyone remembers but there's actually also a writer striking it around there so they actually halted production for a while and I want to say too that they delayed airing the second half of season of the last season season four I think they might have split it into two parts but I don't know if they did the uh, Mad Men Breaking Bad thing where they released them in two separate years I'm not sure if they actually did that or not Again, I could look this up, but it's not really that important to the overall, like, whether or not I enjoyed it. So, I just thought it was kind of noteworthy. Uh, as I mentioned, I had a few. Uh, so, not only did Razor air on sci-fi, but they had a few home release movies, I think. Uh, I Blood and Chrome might have also aired on sci-fi. And there was also The Plan. Now that I think about it, maybe they were all on sci-fi and then released to home uh, home video, DVD, Blu-ray. Uh, I have seen The Plan. I have seen Razor. I have not seen Blood and Chrome, I don't think. Maybe I might have, but it's one of those... Uh, I know Blood and Chrome was intended to be kind of a backdoor pilot to um, the adventures of Edward James Olmos's character, William Adama, before like him, like in the first uh, Cylon War, so when he was uh, quite young and uh, just a pilot as opposed to the uh, admiral commander or admiral he and ended up being becoming and so i'd say it was like pretty successful it also had a spin-off called caprica that only lasted one season because it was a little bit more soap opera ish i guess although battlestar galactica kind of got that way part way through its show part part way through its run i think um, I think I'm spoiling how I feel maybe about <laughs> like my ultimate feelings about the show a little bit, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it kind of did. Uh, it's very political. Um, though the, the writers of the show have said that uh, it's mostly influenced by sort of past political events. And I can't remember sort of what they were like Vietnam and stuff like that. And, um, that's kind of interesting because another show that I talked about on this podcast, Babylon 5, referenced political events that happened in the past as well. I think it did it a lot better. I guess, again, I'm spoiling it, I suppose, but I, I think Battlestar, I think uh, Babylon 5 is a better show than this. Uh, part of the reason for it is because Battlestar Galactica is super religious and spiritual. Like, 
Babylon 5 is 2, but it's more so that every species kind of has its own religion and the atheists aren't jerks and just waiting for their come to Jesus moment. Like I felt like it was presented in this show and the whole show was driven by some uh, higher power that organizes everything and the whole everything will happen bef- uh, has happened before and will happen again and we're just repeating it and everybody has a part to play and you all have a destiny you have zero control over your life I didn't really care for that and I thought it got super heavy handed by the time the show ended so I think I'm kind of again I'm kind of spoiling it I, I guess I should just probably come out and say it at this point overall I like the show uh, but it was a little bit, especially now, like that I'm, I wouldn't say hardcore atheist, but like I'm basically an anti-theist at this point. It was way too religious for me, and I don't like religion mixed with sci-fi in like a super heavy-handed way like this show does. I prefer it more on the outskirts, the way Babylon 5 did it. Like it was there and it had a presence and it influenced things, but there were... Sometimes there were actual natural explanations for it that they would go into, and they showed actually the end of Babylon 5 was more like how uh, a person could actually become a religious icon as their sort of legend grew, and after they passed, they kind of get deified. So it it had like I I thought its its take on religion was really even handed, and it doesn't bother me for that reason. Whereas Battlestar Galactica leans super heavy into it. And I'll get to the end of the show and how it ended later. But suffice to say, it um, it really leaned into it a lot. And that's just not my cup of tea, especially with science fiction. Like, It's different when you're doing a show about, say, mythology or it's specifically... Like, Good Omens is a really good example. That show is very... Like, it's a comedy, which I don't... So I don't get caught up in the religious aspect of it that much, but... It's also presented in a way where I'm not supposed to take this view of uh, religion and, you know, that there's actually a god and, you know, the the earth actually is 6,000 years old. Like, I'm not meant to take this seriously, but it's really funny and entertaining and you can, you know, you look past, like, if you're not religious, you kind of look past it because it's just, it's, the the leads are really good and it's really funny. I recommend actually you watch Good Omens. It's on uh, Amazon Prime. It's I, I enjoyed it a lot, but it here it treated it way too seriously. So I'm gonna get off that for a minute. I'll come back to it. <laughs> rest assured. But it was what makes this show good, in my opinion. Like the political stuff is is part of it, but the other part of it is it's actually quite. I think. A somewhat realistic view of humanity in fact I think it's actually probably a, a really like a quite realistic view of humanity there's lots of shades of gray there's no clear-cut good and evil not really I mean yes and no but there are antagonists but it's more you can understand why characters do the things they do and why they uh, like their motivations and even Cavill, who I'll get into later in like what I'm talking about the seasons, even he who sort of goes down a bit of a path of being like almost a cartoon villain at certain points in the show later on, 
even he, you can sort of get why he does what he does. He's more interested in the survival of the species. He doesn't know why his creators made him like a human when he could see thing, like when he could experience the universe in a, a way, like a more complete way. And so you, I kind of get that. Like I, I get where they were coming from. And I like that. I like that a lot about the show. Uh, there's also a number of interesting moral decisions to be made, like the black market episode where the the fleet knows the black market going on, and Apollo Liadama he is uh, quested to stop it, basically to put an end to it. But what he ends up coming to realize is that the fleet needs the black market kind of to survive. It's a it's a an ugly truth, something that needs to exist and they end up managing it so they can make sure it doesn't get to the point the whole arc of the of, of that episode is like lee's reluctance to admitting that it's sort of a grimy thing that humanity actually needs and they just end up managing it to make sure that they don't do the same thing that uh the former uh runners of it did which is sell children and sell like basically human traffic which you know we're gonna lock that down but things like getting booze and trading for i don't know parts and things like that that you would normally have to go through complicated red tape to get and 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 things like that just basically things that people need to get to survive they kind of just let it run and i things like that i thought were really really interesting and a couple, as a nice segue, and I totally planned it this way when I was making my notes, but a couple of my favorite arcs are the Trial of uh, Baltar. For those who don't know, so like, if you've never watched the show before, uh, Guy's Baltar's character arc is my favorite arc in the whole show. He goes from, even though he ends up sort of a religious man, he goes from an atheist to a religious man, which I didn't enjoy. The other part of his arc where he goes from uh, brilliant scientist to sort of power-hungry politician to human pariah kind of because he, it's it's viewed as he sold out to the Cylons, which it's way more morally gray than that, to realizing that basically he he's all about being selfish and his own survival and he g- comes full circle into a person who's willing to commit an unselfish act or two here or there because he realizes it's actually in his own benefit and the benefit of humanity to do so. So I really, really enjoyed his arc. And the whole trial of Balter is the fleet has captured him back after he has been... So he was president. They established a colony on this planet. The Cylons found him. Uh, they made him complicit in in ordering... Uh, execution mass executions and detaining people by the Cylons they basically put a gun to his head and it's like people are like oh you should just stand up and just you know even if you die at least you die with a clean conscience well not everybody wants to die so he did what he thought you know he did what he could to survive and you know that was kind of his character at the time but anyway he ends up with the Cylons and the humans get him back and then they put him on trial because they basically want someone to blame for the for the bad decision that everybody made to settle on this sort of barren planet in season three. And 
uh sorry the end of season two and the beginning of season three and so they put him on trial and apollo and um i'll get hit to his name later but uh in the cast because i can't remember it right now i have the notes here but uh he was on supernatural uh, he pr- played Crowley on that. And he's always like a really... And he was on Firefly as well. And he always plays this really kind of morally s- sort of questionable character who ultimately does the right thing. And he's no different here. So him and a- Apollo defend uh, Baltar and they end up convincing everybody to... Convincing the this makeshift jury that put together ship ca- ship's captains to vote not guilty. So... That whole arc and the subsequent reaction to it, I thought was just brilliantly done. My other favorite arc that I, on this show, and it's not till the back half of season four. And it's the, so there's, um, the, one of the comms officers, I think he's a comms officer. I'll, I'll get to it when I get to the cast, but his name is, um, is Gata and Felix Gata. And he becomes disillusioned after they, spoiler, don't like find earth, but it's a desolate husk. And because it's been nuked, but it's one of those happened all before it'll happen again type deals. And he becomes disenfranchised with everything. And he, along with Tom Zarek, who is basically like sort of a anti-establishment terrorist guy, but ends up becoming vice president at one point, they mutiny. And so uh, Tom Zarek kills a whole bunch of uh, the representatives and what's called the quorum, which is basically like, you know, sort of a makeshift makeshift parliament for the fleet. And Gata takes over Galactica. And the whole... He's lost a leg to before this point. And uh, so he starts to see some... some like And there's a silent... Like, backing up a little bit. There's like a... Um, there was a silence of a war. Some of the silence joined humanity and there was a big alliance. And so he started feeling like the silence were getting preferential treatment and that we had for, like the human race had forgotten what they had done to them and et cetera, et cetera. So he takes over and his whole, like he doesn't quite go all the way and it's cause he can't, he like, he just, you know, because they've been through so much together, together he just, he can't necessarily do he can't go all the way and it ends up costing them in the end because they retake the Adama and, and the rest of the crew end up, end up retaking Galactica and they eventually end up executing him and Zarek via firing squad. And it's just, I really enjoyed Gata's arc later on in the show as well. And I like that they did like a... They did that. They did arcs like that with a lot of the secondary characters, and I really enjoyed that about the show too. So it's one of those things where, and I mentioned this before, it's shades of gray, interesting moral decisions. Even though Gata does a mutiny and he tries to take over Galactica, you can t- absolutely uh, sympathize with him, and you can see why he does this. Like they follow. Adama for almost four years with the hope of finding Earth, which at first he kind of lied just to give people hope, which makes sense, but still, he did lie. Um, they finally find Earth, and it's a desolate husk. It's been nuked. It's not uh, inhabit. It's not habitable, uh, and he starts. He loses hope. 
every the whole crew loses hope and everything like that and so you know he's been following the rules this whole time doing what he can to save humanity and then this they just the cylons decide to form an alliance and they just you know we're just gonna go do that now and i'm like it's a wonder the mutiny didn't occur earlier <laughs> you know what i mean and i really really like that about this show like it's even though Adama is like your favorite character and it might be your favorite character or you might like Rosalind and I'll get to her later. Um, or you might like some of the other crew like Starbuck and Apollo and stuff like that. And they're taken prisoner and you aren't, you know, you, you can't get behind Tom Zarek like executing the quorum, which is where really they cross the line. Even if you can't get behind all that, you can understand where gate is coming from and i love that about this show like this is this is the thing like if it didn't have this kind of stuff and really really good acting might i add by everybody including secondary characters this show wouldn't be very good like it wouldn't be really any good it wouldn't be noteworthy nobody would remember it in my opinion anyway but it has that and it's really really good that those parts of it another thing i like to mention is that the score was done by Beer McCreary. Now, I mentioned this in the score podcast when I uh, talked with uh, Don about, you know, uh, movie and TV scores. The score for the show is absolutely brilliant. It is easily the best part of the show. Like, I'm not saying that the other parts that I've previously talked about aren't really, really good, but the score is amazing. He blends so many different instruments together of so many different cultures, which makes sense considering that they're a group of diverse people from a bunch of different colony planets all together on one ship. So I thought that was really, really well done. And he does, and I've mentioned this too, his version of All Along the Watchtower is my favorite version of that song, which I'm sure I'll get screamed at for. But it totally is. I have all the seasons on my phone and I listen to the score regularly. But I just thought I'd mention that again because it it just bears mentioning there was so there was a little bit of controversy around Starbuck and Boomer being cast as female characters because apparently the, in the original and again I don't remember the original that much but apparently in the original those two characters were originally men and they were recast as women and apparently at the beginning some people fought back against that and to me it's about as dumb as saying that you can't have black stormtroopers which was the re, uh, reaction to um the casting of um his name escapes me right now but is as finn in, in, in the new star wars trilogy the new trilogy is is not good for other reasons but it certainly isn't because of him so there was some controversy around it at first but it quickly disappeared i think like i don't remember hearing a lot about it and even when i read about it it didn't seem to last very long because the show was so successful and those two characters, Boomer not so much, uh, although she does play a very prominent role, but Starbuck, Katie Sackhoff did an excellent, excellent job. And her performance and character are kind of defies gender. So people just forgot about it, which is nice because, man, people troll about... John Boyega was his name, sorry. It just came to me right now <laughs> as Finn in, in Star Wars. But... Uh, I was going to say it's refreshing to see that it didn't last long because of all the whining people do about Captain Marvel and Star Trek Discovery and stuff like that. Now it's just, it's incessant and it's, and I hate it. I hate it so much. And it's nice to know that at least, you know, 
a show like this was kind of able to cast that aside. And I wish it, that happened more often, but I feel like a lot of those people just, they, if you don't like the show, fine, but don't complain that there's too much, uh, inclusivity. It's just, that's a, that's just a dumb argument. It's just dumb. Like if you don't like the stuff in the show, fine. If you don't like the character arcs or the acting or the, the writing, that's cool. If you don't think it's what Star Trek should be, that's also cool. Although I would argue that a lot of those uh, former Star Trek shows were very political and very progressive and very inclusive. But eh, that, that's I'm willing to have that argument. What, I, what I'm not willing to entertain is, oh, you know, we got a trans character like, or there's too many women on the show and all the men are relegated to second. And it's like, shut up. So I'm end of rant. I, I'm gonna just keep talking about Battlestar Galactica. Although I will mention Star Trek, but for a different reason uh, in a second. But yeah, it uh, it didn't last long, which, like I said, is nice. So this show was developed by Ronald D. Moore, who is famous for writing on. He famously actually started in the business uh, submitting a fan script for a Star Trek Next Generation episode, which got edited and then became an episode. And I can't remember which one it was, but then he eventually got brought on to write for the show. Uh, he wrote a lot of episodes for Star Trek Deep Space Nine, which is my favorite Trek, as I've mentioned previously in this podcast. And he did some writing for Voyager as well. Uh, this is me talking about Star Trek in relation to the show. So apparently, too, then there was this rumor going around for a while, and I don't know if it's true. I read it on the internet, so who knows. But apparently, Ronald D. Moore kind of wanted Voyager to be like this version of Battlestar Galactica, where I could definitely see it makes sense because they had two different crews, the Maquis and the Federation, who were essentially at war with each other. And the Maquis ship was damaged, so they just all decided to become Federation officers in the, side, in, in the span of a couple episodes. And there was some conflict, but it was very sparse throughout that first season. And then by the time the first season was over, it's like, yeah, we're all Starfleet, fleet, it's fine. Don't worry about it. And that sucked. <laughs> At least I thought it sucked. That part of it anyway, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. And so to me, him wanted to make a little bit more... Gritty and realistic kind of makes sense, but the network was never going to go for that. They have a certain way that they think Star Trek should be, and this probably wasn't going to be it. So again, uh, sort of spoiling how I feel about the show. Um, and I've read this in a number of different critical um, reviews of it. That it seemed to kind of succumb to its flaws about halfway through, which... Yes, I can see that. There was a number of times where I watched this show and I said to myself, that's what happens when you write yourself into a corner. And I can think of no better example than President Rosalind being cured by magic half Cylon blood, like in season two. Because, so her backstory is that she's the president and because she was the only she was the highest ranking government official who survived the attack on the colonies by the Cylons where they nuked everything and she has cancer and it was pretty it was pretty advanced cancer and the, her whole arc on the show was a dying leader will show humanity the way to earth or cobol or it's so I hate it like I hated this arc but so you can sort of, I guess, how I feel about President Rosalind, although maybe not. 
Um, but the fact that, like I said, she kind of got cured of her... So they got partway through season two and she's basically dying. And it's like, hey, we're going to get more seasons out of this show. And she's a main character and we can't kill her off. What do we do about it? And so they're like, hey, magic half silent blood. And it's... And then she has this big, like, spiritual... She sees a whole bunch of visions, a bunch of nonsense. And she ends up uh, having this spiritual experience uh, where she doesn't die. Like, she's sort of comes close to death, I guess. And like I said, the magic blood cures her. And yeah, um, stuff like that. It had a whole bunch of romantic subplots that went nowhere. Um, it f- seemed to sometimes forget about some of the... Uh, secondary cast you know just the whole thing with starbuck was just stupid yeah it just yeah it just kind of seemed to fall in on of itself and again like comparing this to babylon 5 where babylon 5 is was a tv novella developed with a five season arc of beginning middle and end even though the end is not that great and neither is the beginning for that matter but it's not that great, but it's at least serviceable. This, it's like they got halfway through and just didn't know what to do do with it. It's like we're a success. We're going to go multiple seasons. Now what do we do? And yeah, I, I just, I think that's kind of, they just kind of wrote them out, themselves into corners constantly. And, and I noticed it this time around, which really dinged the show for me. It really did. And yeah, I just, I, I've seen that a lot and I, I wholeheartedly agree with it. Another kind of interesting thing, and it, this will help me segue into the cast, uh, the list of the cast members, <laughs> is that uh, various cast members, including Edward James Olmos and Mary McDonnell, in addition to, I believe, the producer David Ike, or Ick, or Ick, or however you pronounce his last name, uh, they were invent- invited to speak uh, about human rights, terrorism, and a number of other subjects at the UN, which I thought was kind of interesting. After the show, um, went off the air in 2009 and that goes to show actually sort of the cultural impact the show had like i mean they i will complain endlessly about the religious aspect of the show i didn't care for it i thought the ending of the show like leaned way too heavily on it as i said but it did a lot to bring together and like and the score when i talked about the score this is an example of it. they brought a, a a bunch of different cultures and religious beliefs and spiritualities and um there's this weird kind of cast structure that they uh touch on a little bit throughout the show but not a ton that's another plot hole that's another plot thread that kind of goes nowhere but sort of sort of doesn't it's kind of at the fringes but at any rate they do a lot of that and despite all that they succeed in finding a habitable planet uh, that they decide to call earth and you know it's funny i initially watched the show started watching the show again too because i was sort of in a bit of a funk and i'm like i want to watch something that's gloomy like it's doom and gloom and there's not a lot of hope to it. And what I found watching the show is that there's a, it's actually pretty hopeful. And I think that's kind of what the show was in, sort of intended to be at the end. And it kind of did have that in, cultural impact a little bit. 
And so I thought it was interesting they got to speak to the UN. And I remember seeing highlights of it on television too. And yeah, it's just I think it's just like a kind of a really interesting thing that a science fiction show cast got to go to the UN and talk about a whole bunch of like human rights issues. It's, yeah, just fascinating to me. So like I said, I'm going to segue right into the cast here. And I'm going to go through them one at a time. And I'm kind of going to give maybe some of them I'll give my feelings on. Some of them I don't have strong feelings one way or the other, and some pe- some some of them I do. So I just thought at this point I'll go through the cast and, and do that before I talk about sort of the overall direction of the show and, you know, sort of a synopsis basically of what happens throughout. So I'll just kind of start with the cast here and I'll just pull this right off Wikipedia. So Ed- Edward James Olmos as... Actually, before I get started with the cast, I think it's an absolute crime that a lot of these actors have not gotten high-profile jobs since this show. James Callis in particular, and I'll get to him when I talk about him, uh, his character, uh, Guy Baltar. He did such a phenomenal acting job on this show. I'm shocked. Like, I saw him in the remake of the TV remake of 12 Monkeys, which I also found pretty entertaining, but he hasn't really been in all that much, and I have no idea why. I thought he was amazing in this show. And Edward James almost got a couple of gigs after. I think Mary McDonnell had a few. But yeah, I mean, Katie Sackhoff probably has the most um, noteworthy career out of all these people, which is weird to me. It's so bizarre. Like Michael Hogan uh, was in the Sonic movie. He's had bit parts. Like like I said, he was in the Sonic movie right at the beginning. He's in that for a cup of coffee. He was in a few episodes of The Man in the High Castle. Uh, but he's only popped up here and there, and I just, Tamil Panicket, which is like, he was the worst actor on the show, like Tamil Panicket plays Tamil Panicket in everything he's in, he was in um, Dollhouse uh, for the run of that show, and I think it went three seasons, maybe four, which I also didn't like that show, but that's another conversation for another time, but just yeah, it astounds me how few people went on to do anything like of note after this. It's so weird. I guess Grace Park uh, was on the remake of uh, Hawaii Five-0, but that's all I'll say about that because it just, like I said, just shocks me because there's so much good acting here, and it, yeah, it's just, it's it, it just blows my mind. So, like I said, cast Edward James Olmos as uh, Commander and eventually Admiral William Adama. Uh, I really like his character. There was a few things about him that bugged me a little bit. Uh, He was mostly my surrogate, although him and and Baltar, which a lot of people hate Baltar, but I'll get to him in a minute, and I don't understand why people just hate him. is because they think he's the bad guy, but he's really not. But Adama, he... You know, he was the stoic military guy. He tried to do the right thing, but he didn't always. My my nitpick with him was more that he was just too stubborn and unwilling to bend. And, you know, lines like... And he was, like, sometimes over-the-top masculine. Like, he had lines like, I don't do guilt or regret or something like that. And I'm like, bullshit, everybody does. And it was just, you know, it was little stuff like that. I do... He didn't have... He also didn't have... The biggest arc in the show, I mean, he he ends up with uh, President Roslin, and they end up having a relationship, and it's very sad, although I was more sad for him to, to see her die. I'll get to her in a second, because she's next on the on the list, but 
yeah, there was a few things that I just didn't. There's a few times I'm like, but it's. I think it speaks to the quality of the show. But there's a few times where I'm like, yeah, I don't know, dude. Like, I'm just not with you. And there was, but for the most part, I did really enjoy him. And Edward James almost his performance was really. I think was really good. It was, you know, very toned down, sublime. He almost sound, sounded like he was whispering half the time, but I liked it a lot. Needless to say, and I liked his character too, for the most part. Up, sne- up next is Mary McDonnell as President Laura Roslin. The first, my first, okay. <laughs> I'm going on a little bit of a rant here. The first time that I watched his show all the way through, I really liked President Roslin. And I was on board with almost every decision she made. This time around, I absolutely hate her. I hated her character from... Almost right off the bat, maybe not the miniseries, but once they got a little bit into season one, she came off to me as a religious zealot who was always convinced she was right and always she knew the right decision to make all the time and she wasn't interested in running it by anyone. She claimed to to stand for democracy and she claimed to listen to the will of the people. I don't think she ever really did. Did. She also banned abortion, which I hated that they did that in this show. Like, just don't ever mention it. I get why they did it, because you're talking about the survival of the human race. And in fact, in that episode, Dr. Baltar goes, by my calculations, the human race will be wiped out in, I don't know, 16 years or something like that. And so, like, yeah, we got to start having babies, and I can't allow abortion. So I get it, but at the same time, I'm like... What kind of species are we if we don't allow body autonomy? Like, uh, that's not a species I'm interested in continuing. And so I didn't like that. I didn't like the magic Cylon, half Cylon blood thing. I didn't like, basically she became like so important. Uh, she thought she was so important and she became super full of herself in in, in my view. Uh, she and then when they eventually do find Earth and it's a desolate, desolate husk because it's um so like a Cylon human war happened bef- like happened thousands of years ago the there's like I guess ten or eleven tribes in the twelfth tribe or eleventh or however many like the last tribe was Cylon they went and did their own planet and they end up building machines which turn on them and they had their own war and their version of the Cylons wiped them out. And yeah, and everything got wiped out on that planet. At any rate, they get there and they find that everybody loses hope. And then when she discovers that she might have been wrong, she just completely gives up. She's like, I don't care about anything. It takes her like several episodes to get back in the saddle, so to speak, and to kind of start leading people again. She's just like, no, I'm just going to tuck tuck my head between my legs and quit and it's like you suck like i get everybody else was too but they kind of picked themselves up after and started to get going but she's like oh i'm sorry and and i'm as i'm watching the show i'm like oh i'm i'm sorry did you find out you're not god's chosen prophet poor you and i was just i was i was so that's just kind of the attitude i had towards her i just i hated her character i just hated it and and yeah, I hate her arc. I hate her character. I hate the decision she made. I don't think there was there was maybe a handful of moments that I found 
hurt myself agreeing with her. But other than that, she is my she is the most hated character on the show for me. And like, I don't think I can put it into words how much I disliked her this time around. I did not, yeah, did not care for it at all. And maybe that's the atheist in me talking. I don't know, but I really, yeah, nope. Hated it, hated it, hated it. And I'm like, when she died of cancer, I was all like, you know what? Oh, well. I was, uh, because I knew that's where it was going. And I was sad for, because Adama fell in love with her and he was so in love with her that he was so sad and eventually moved. He eventually, like, went off by himself to um, live as a hermit for the rest of his life, which is kind of a waste if you ask me. But, like, eh, whatever. He was in love with her, and I found that sad from that perspective, but I was not sad to see her die. That's how much I didn't like her. So, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> that's really mean and really negative, and it's a bit of a rant, but that's just how I feel. So, I apologize for all those Rosalind fans out there, but I just, yeah, just I'm, I'm going to move on. I'm, I'm just going to move on at this point. Uh, Katie Sackoff as uh, Kara Starbuck Thrace. Her character was great. Katie Sackoff is great. She's a really good actor. You could see her acting get better as the show went on. I really like her as an individual. I really I subscribe to her YouTube channel even. She's very funny, very entertaining. She's been, done a bunch of uh sort of she like she's not one of those people who okay, I've done a science fiction show and now I'm like done with a sci-fi thing. No, she like kind of she appreciates her fans, I think. At least that's how she comes across anyway. And uh, she's been in like Big Bang Theory, uh, guest starring as herself. I believe, yeah, I believe. Or maybe playing uh, a f- sort of fantasy Starbuck version in one of the main characters' heads that he's conversing with. But at any rate, Katie Sackhoff is great and Starbuck is great. What they did with her character arc was fucking stupid. Like, I'm going to kind of spoil where the show... Again, I've already kind of done this, but... Her character dies at the end of season three. No, towards the end of season three. And then three episodes later, she's back. And they don't ever really explain it. And she ends up being a ghost or an angel or a prophet or something. And it makes no goddamn sense. And I hate the ending even more. (laughs) than I did the other time it was so stupid the whole thing they did with her and Apollo goes like the romantic subthread with her and Apollo and the love triangle between her and Apollo and, and Anders goes absolutely nowhere um it's one of those plot threads that they do nothing with and it's, it's too bad because her character was so great and I really liked how her arc evolved and it's her backstory is really sad and uh which they get into it in the last season too and even then though like even though i don't like the spiritual aspect of it when she learns to play the all along the watchtower song on the piano which her dad taught her because he was a famous composer like yeah i got goosebumps for that moment so you know they, they made a lot of stuff that kind of stuff work but her her ending is just stupid it's just dumb uh, Jamie Bamber as uh, Lee Adama. I thought he was fine. Um, he's not the standout to me of this show. He served his role and he was meant to be the sort of uh, moral compass of the show, even though he kind of 
gets into shades of gray himself and you know he blew up a, a acting on orders blew up a civilian transport the olympic carrier at the beginning of this of the show because they thought it was cylons they never really reveal one way or the other how that like was with were they actually cylons or not they just kind of left it open which would have been really interesting if they had found out later that it was actually civilians that could have been cool but they never really did anything with that i know super shock um but a lot of the times just kind of found like he was i don't know kind of there uh, and he takes over eventually as president and stuff like that but he his best role in the show was when he was defending baltar as part of the baltar's trial which is as i mentioned previously one of my favorite arcs but yeah he was all right i ended up being on law and order uk i think after maybe but i don't know if he's done anything of note other than that uh my favorite character in the entire show and i don't care who said who says that he's evil or whatever and they hate him or they love to hate him i don't know but uh dr gaius baltar he's basically the reason like so the cylons gain access to the defense grid of the colonies through him and he does it all for selfish purposes and you find out later he's got a background he's from a a planet where they're all farmers and uh, he eventually speaks out about that like how there's a caste system and you know his his arc is just it's amazing like he was the best written character on this show like he starts out as super selfish and atheist he becomes he starts to believe in god which i didn't care for but it's because I'm an atheist and I don't believe in such things. He ends up uh, becoming president of the colonies. He defeats uh, um, Laura Rosalind in an election, which she, again, this is another reason why I hate her. Sorry to get back on this train, but uh, President Rosalind tried to cheat to win the election because she was convinced she was right, which she's, I guess she was, but that's not the point. Like you can't, and she eventually, basically Adama says, yeah, you can't, you can't cheat. She's like, but I'm right. He's like, but you can't. Sorry. And so, yeah, another reason to hate her. But uh, so he ends up winning the the presidency. And as I alluded to earlier, um, they settle on this sort of, it's a rocky planet. There's not much to it, but it can support life. And people were tired of running. So they settle. The Cylons eventually find them and subjugate them. And they uh, detain a bunch of them. And they commit they uh execute some some of them and stuff like that and some of the humans join a cylon human police force and baltar is basically forced to do all this stuff people complain about it after it's like well why didn't he stand up to him it's like well they put a gun to his head man what do you want well you should have died for it well they would would have just got somebody who would do it anyway and so better him to just live like i totally get why he did that like I'm not sure people say that they would stand up and just take a bullet. Um, I don't know that they actually would. So after that, he ends up with the Cylons, like I said. And he, um, there's this whole subplot where he wonders if he's a Cylon. A big hook of this show, I should mention, is that they know all the Cylons except for the final five. And that's like a sort of cliffhanger thing. Although I don't think it's really that important in the end who they end up being and it doesn't make a lot of like a number of plot threads on the show doesn't actually make a lot of sense so 
he eventually ends up with Cylon. There's a whole uh, plot thread where he thinks he might be a Cylon. He's a he, he's not because it'd be way too obvious anyway. Uh, but and it wouldn't really make a whole lot of sense. But he, it's funny actually. I'll get to this actually as I'm going through the show. But uh, one of the th- he should have known one of the final five at the beginning of the TV show when he's inventing his Cylon detector. I won't get any more into it than that but needless to say that didn't really make any sense but a lot of things in the show didn't really make any sense but so he's with the Cylons he reconnects with the six that uh info that helped him infiltrate or that he helped get access to the defense grid um he eventually gets recaptured by the humans they put him on trial which like I said it's a great arc once he gets acquitted he ends up becoming this sort of religious... I refer to him as Space Jesus because he get, kind of gets this cult of people following him around and thinks he's this um, holy kind of uh, prophet-type person and because he's preaching about the one God because the other interesting slash weird thing about the show is that even though these people are traveling faster than light and, and are capable of interstellar travel... Um, maybe not interstellar... Um, in between um, uh, solar systems within the same galaxy, they still believe in the Greek gods, so Zeus and Hera and stuff like that, and Apollo and Athena and all this kind of, And it's like, what? Why? But fine, whatever. Uh, he preaches worship the one true god. And so it's way too on the nose for me is an analogy between like the Christ, like the movement towards Christianity and away from the Greek gods. So yeah, I mean, I didn't like the religious part of that, but I liked that he eventually evolves into somebody who commits a selfless act at the end of the, at the end of the show. So I, I really love his character arc and I really think he's a great actor and I really like the character. Uh, next up, Trisha Helfer as six, uh, the Cylons that, again, I alluded to, infiltrated the Defense Network with the help of Baltar. Um, she is a Canadian model, and she is absolutely smoldering in the show. And I don't necessarily mean like, oh yeah, I think she's hot. I do, but I mean that she's got this presence where she's she's just... She just sizzles when she, like So when she is... Especially when it's the angel version of her who's visiting Baltar. Like, just how sexual she is without being, not really showing anything. It's, yeah, like, she's just got that down. She just has, like, um, like I said, that smoldering sexuality to her. And then she also has some vulnerability when she plays different versions of the six. But uh, I thought, like, for a model, I think she's, like, a pretty decent actress, or actor, actually. But, uh... Again, I don't think I've seen her in a lot of stuff after this. Uh, Grace Park as number eight. So, again, one of the Cylons. She was Boomer, Athena, different versions of it. Um, didn't really latch on to her, even though she's the mother of uh, a half-human, half-Cylon, who is the mitochondrial Eve uh, of humanity as we know it. Oh, God. I'm getting to this ending. Holy shit. It's so bad. But at any rate, uh, and then she's married to um, Tamil Pennicut's character, uh, Carl Alexan Hilo, a version of her anyway. And she's got, you know, she, she's important to the show, but I didn't really latch on to her all that much. 
but she isn't definitely a key cog to what happens throughout the show. Uh, Michael Hogan as Saul Tai, who um, is the spa- resident space Canadian because he has, has the most... He's from Ontario and he's got the most Canadian accent I've ever heard. Like the fracking whatever right he just elongates his vowels and i'm from canada and i've heard this accent so many times and he's like like damn dude (laughs) he's also a drunk um he's not a very good human being he's one of those in between like you can kind of get on his side but um at other times he's just a dick because he's an alcoholic so yeah but he's super loyal uh, he ends up being one of the final five, which makes absolutely no sense. But there it is. Um, Aaron Douglas as Galen Tyrrell. He is the chief. Um, he's, a, he's also one of the final five. I mostly liked him. Um, again, like not, I didn't feel too strongly about him, but I mostly like his character. He's interesting. Tamo Pennicott as Carl Agathon. I've spoken about him before, like married to uh, one of the Cylons, like Athena. He acts exactly the same way in every show he's in. He's fine. He's fine. I didn't love him or hate him. He's. I will say this though about him: they made Apollo. Apollo is supposed to be like Lidama. He's supposed to be the moral compass of the show. Carl Agathon, Hilo. He is the most moral centered person in this entire show. Like, even when there's a chance to wipe out the Cylons, he's like, well, that's genocide. I That's not right. What kind of people are we if we're willing to sacrifice our morals to get rid of this problem? And I'm like, damn, dude. Like, like the heck with, like, Lee, you're you're the guy, man. Like, he all, always does the right thing. Like, he fights off, uh, fights off. He uh, investigates this doctor who's basically racist and is killing off the a certain uh, group of people from this planet who are religious and won't let doctors treat him. Funny, like how that kind of parallels even today. But yeah, which even though you think is dumb, you shouldn't kill the people. And so, like he does that despite his reservations. Like he always does the right thing. Alessandro Giuliani as Felix Gaeta. Again, I spoke about him. He was in one of my favorite, if not my favorite arc in the whole show, The Mutiny. Um, he goes through quite a change from reluctant scientist and kind of quiet comms guy to eventually uh, serving uh, in the government under Baltar and helping the resistance. Uh, then he ends up going to disenfranchised officer and ultimately to mutineer. And I, again, this is one of the, this is a case where they take a side character and really flesh out his arc. I really, really enjoyed that a lot. Uh, Candace McClure is D again, sort of there. Um, she ends up marrying Apollo and gets caught up in the whole love triangle dealy because Lee loves, uh, Kara Starbuck and he marries her anyway. And she knows it. And it's this whole thing. Meh. Um, her best, like her biggest contribution, I think, to the show is that, uh, after they find earth and it's, uh, a nuclear wasteland, she ends up killing herself. And that, I, that was a really sort of shocking moment. That's the thing I remember about her the most. 
Paul Campbell's Billy Kaikia. He was um, ultimately forgettable. He was um, Roslyn's assistant for a bit. I kind of liked him. He was it's okay, and then they end up killing him off. This is the thing about the show. They never really killed any main characters. It was always a side character that they killed. Him, D, Gata. Uh, the next one I'm getting to, Callie. Like, it was always side characters. Uh, Nikki Klein's Callie Henderson. Again, just kind of there. Um, she looked like half the age of everybody there. She looked like she was like 17. And uh, even though she eventually marries Tyrrell, she looks ha- like she looks so young. But uh, yeah, I kind of enjoyed her. She was she was decent. Uh, Michael Truco, who famously was in... Uh, What's the name of the... Oh, um, Wishmaster. He was in Wishmaster 2, and he played the the evil genie character in Wishmaster 2. So there's a deep cut for you. He, uh, he's Canadian as well, I believe. Uh, he played uh, Samuel Anders. He ends up becoming the husband to Kara Thrace. Gets caught in that whole love thing with Lee. He ends up be- also being one of the final five. Probably the one that makes the most sense, to be quite honest. Because you didn't really have know all that much about him, which is fine. Um, again, he was okay. Donnelly Rhodes as Dr. Sherman Cottle, who, for the Canadian fans, he was on a little CBC show called Danger Bay. He was the main star, which was, I remember that from my childhood. Anybody listening in any other country will have no clue what I'm talking about, I'm sure. Or even what the CBC is, is Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, for those who are wondering. It's a government-funded uh, TV station in Canada. And they produce... Canadian content mostly, almost exclusively, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, yes, I remember him from that. Uh, he was an entertaining, funny character. He played the doctor basically um, with a not exactly the greatest bedside manner, and that was the joke, and it worked. It was fine. Bodie Olmos uh, as Lieutenant Brendan Hot Dog Costanza. He, as you would guess by his last name, he is Edward James Olmos' son, and I am convinced that's how he got the job on this show, because he's not really that great. He's, oh, he's fine, I guess, but, eh. Uh, Lee Cairns as Racetrack, again, we're getting into the, the, the depths here. Um, largely forgettable, decent character, just kind of there for missions and stuff. Uh, she's fine. I think she was involved in mutiny on the side of the mutineers, if memory serves me correctly. And she ends up dying in the last episode, I believe. Uh, Rekha Sharma as Tori Foster. I'm surprised she wasn't a little bit higher because she's actually one of the final five as well, which also makes sense because you don't know a whole bunch about her and she kind of appears out of nowhere later. Um, I thought she was pretty good. Um, She's serviceable. She does the job. Uh, she ends up, uh, killing, uh, Kelly and then, uh, Galen Tyrrell kills her and yeah, before they can give, um, resurrection technology to the other Cylons and it's at the end of the show, the shitty, shitty ending. Anyway, I thought, I thought she was pretty good. Ah, yes. And we're coming to another, uh, another character that you love to hate. Kate Vernon as Ellen Ellen Tires, I like to refer to her every time I saw her on screen. Ellen fucking Ty. She was the worst person that you could imagine. She was the worst influence on Saul Ty ever. She was a terrible person. She only ever did things in self-interest. And she was one of the final five, which I hated. I hated so much because I'm like, ah, uh, when Saul had to kill her. See, 
on the planet that they settle on and like when uh Baltar was president uh they had the resistance and Solitai was head of it and uh he got captured and she had sex with the one of the uh, with Cavill, one of the Cylons, to um, free him, and he eventually goes free. And then she brings them inf- information and kind of betrays them, t- so he won't get uh, tortured again. Saul won't get tortured again. So she she does that, and then uh, Saul kills her. And it's a really heartfelt moment, very sad and. Even though you don't like Ellen all that much, but you feel for Ty what he has to do, and you know it hangs with him, and then it ultimately doesn't matter because she's a Cylon and she ends up getting resurrected. So, way to shit all over that, guys. <sighs> it seems like I don't like the show. I swear I do for the most part. Uh, Richard Hatch is Tom Zarek. He was I can't remember which character in the original show, but he came back and he did a really good job. I thought as Tom Zarek. Sort of a militant guy. Uh, he was a terrorist uh, before the attack. And he was on this prison ship. And he gets in the politics, of course. He plays the game quite well, but not well enough to take fully take over. He becomes vice president under Roslyn at one point, And then he ends up, ends up trying to take uh, seize power. And he gets shot for his troubles. But I every time Tom Zarek was on screen, I was like, oh, Zarek. But he was super entertaining. I really liked him a lot. Uh, Jen Holly is Dana, Diana Hardball Celix. Eh, again, just kind of there for missions. Luciana Carroll is Luann Cat uh, Katrine, Katrine, whatever. Uh, I liked Cat, uh, and I liked her arc, and she went out a hero, which was a very sad episode. Another really good example of. Um, doing something with the side characters that a lot of other shows would ignore. And I liked her a lot too. Sam Witwer is Alex Crashdown Cortero, maybe? Uh, Sam Witwer is uh, famous as being the model for uh, Star Wars The Force Unleashed, as well as being the voice of Darth Maul and uh, Darth Sidious, a.k.a. Palpatine, in uh, Star Wars animated shows. So... Uh, yeah, he's pretty famous more, more for his voice work at this point. Uh, but yeah, he was in the show too. Uh, he kind of he gets shot in the back by a Baltar. <laughs> but for a good reason. Um, and that's kind of what I remember from him. Mark Shepard is Romo Lampkin. And this was so this is who I was referring to before. He played Crowley. Uh, he was uh, Baltar's lawyer. He pops up in about three, four episodes. But he's entertaining as hell in all of them. And I always enjoy his work. Um, Michelle Forbes, Forbes as Elena Kane, I believe. Yes, she was the commander of the Pegasus. She was the admiral of the Pegasus. Um, uh, which they go into more detail in Razor, why she ends up as screwed up in the head as she is, and she ends up murdered by a six, which is fine because she was terrible anyway. Uh, incidentally enough, she played Ensign Rolaren on Star Trek: Next Generation, so a little more Star Trek connections there for you. Uh, Callum Keith Rennie as Leoban Conoy. He has a very interesting arc. He's a little bit too space cadet for me at times. Believes a little bit too much. Um, he's the one who says that the hybrids um, speak the word of God or whatever. And that Care Thrace is special destiny, which prompts the great line, Care Thrace and her special destiny sounds like a bad cover band, which is a great, great line in the show. Uh, he was on uh, Due South uh, with um, 
oh god what was his name uh i'm gonna blank on the name canadian people are gonna like throw rocks at me any any minute but uh you know what i'm talking about the, the guy who played the mountie uh at any rate uh he was on that show for a bit too before he did Battlestar Galactica. So that's actually, I remember him being, I'm like, hey, it's Callum Keith Rennie. Uh, Matthew Bennett is Aaron. I uh, don't remember him that much. I think, oh, he's one of the Cylons. Uh, Lucy Lawless is Deanna Beers. I enjoyed her on this. She was sparsely in it, though. Just a little bit here and there. Maybe it's because she was going back and forth in New Zealand. I don't know. I don't know if she actually lives in North America or not, but. Um. Yeah, I liked her character in this. Uh, her ending sucked, like a lot of other people's endings in the show. She decides to stay on the new Earth and just kind of rot. Because she's like, oh, this is Earth. This is not what I was expecting. I give up. I lose all hope. I'm just going to stay here and rot with my ancestors. Awesome. Uh, Dean Stockwell as Brother John Cavill. He is one of the Stylons. He's one of the first ones made by the... Fi- so, like, the story is this the final five came from this other cylon planet where they had uh, entered into war and um this other cylons that these humans of the colonies built they were they turned on them and waged war and they were starting to experiment with um flesh and blood blood designs and so these final five came and said to these new this new group and said we'll give you the Ability to build um, uh, human models because that's how they build them after to look and, you know, sound and bleed and stuff like human beings. Although they think they have advanced strength maybe and endurance. So they never go into that. They never really use that as a major plot point or really like they forget about it when it's convenient a few times, which again, things this show a little bit, but at any rate, he's the first model that they build. Uh, Dean Stockwell was in Quantum Leap. He was Al, for those who remember that show. Um, it was They made him and another one, and he murdered that other one because I think he was jealous of all the attention when the Cylons was giving him. Could you be on any more on the nose for a Cain and Abel like, uh, um, reference or metaphor, uh, simile, whatever? Because, like, good lord, you could hit me over the head with that. But, and which there was this other Cylon model that they never talk about. They mention them like a couple of times and they just never go into it. One of those other plot threads that they never do anything with and could have been interesting. But, at any rate, that's, that's that character. And last but not least, Rick Worthy is Simon O'Neill. He was one of the other Cylon models. So that's the majority of the cast. I will mention that uh, Sebastian Spence, who and I got to mention this because he's a he's a Newfoundlander. He's from St. John's. Uh, he, which is where I'm from, he uh, had a character on this as well, a reoccurring kind of character here and there. He's one of the pilots they brought over from the Pegasus. Uh, he was on First Wave, which was a science fiction Canadian science fiction show that was on um, space for a while. But um, I just thought I'd mention that because he's where I'm from. So there you go. So I'm going to spend the last little bit of this podcast just more or less talking about uh, the sort of the summary of the show, and I'll just give my final thoughts on it. So started as a miniseries, as I said, it chronicles the journey of the last surviving humans from the 12 colonies of Cobol. So there's 12, 13 tribe was Cylon. They have a nuclear, so like they're, as I mentioned earlier, they're... Um, 
There's a nuclear strike by the Cylons. Uh, the survivors led by President Roslin and Commander William Adama. And it says in a ragtag fleet, that's literally what it says, says of ships with Battlestar Galactica, an old but powerful warship. And there's a whole bunch of, and as its command ship, and they get a whole bunch of uh, civilian ships as well. Pursued by Cylons, intent on wiping out the remnants of the human race. They're looking for the fabled long-lost 13th colony, Earth. Um, it says, unlike most space opera series, it has no aliens, which is I also thought was interesting. And the antagonists are the man-made Cylon androids who turned against them. And the primary armaments used by most military forces you uh, utilize bullets, railguns, missiles instead of lasers. There's no shields. It intentionally avoids technobabble, which I also appreciate because Star Trek can get a little technobabbly sometimes. Sometimes they just Star Trek their way out of a situation. And most of the stories deal with uh, apocalyptic fallout of the destruction of the colonies um, on the survivors and the moral choices they must make to deal with it, as I mentioned before. Decline of human race, war with the Cylons, and it portrays the concepts of perpetuated cycles of hate and violence driving the conflict. Way too much religion, in my opinion, and the implication of a god. Get that away from my sci-fi, whatever. Whose possibly angelic agents appeared to certain main characters, most notably Gaius Baltar, but also Six, the Cylon. So, over the course of the show, I'm reading this off Wikipedia, by the way. I'm not coming up with this on my own. Uh, so, over the course of the show, uh, four seasons, the war between the, the fleet and the humans and Cylons, there's a lot of twists and turns. There's a, despite the animosity on both sides, the human and a faction of the Cylons eventually form an alliance in the wake of this civil war. Um, because uh, the half of them want to kind of go their own way and the other half don't and one half um takes out the hardware that makes the drones like the um the planes that they fly the raiders uh as opposed to the big capital ships at at any rate they take out that that hardware and the other side gives uh the um the soldiers there they're sort of infantry the ability to learn and become self-aware and so they they that that's kind of how all that started they just formed two different ideologies and and the Cylon leader a Cylon humanoid number one named John Cavill he decides that okay well we're just going to wipe you up so he deceives the other models by obsessively hiding the identities and origins of the remaining final five which they say, oh, we're forbidden, we're forbidden. Look, we can't know the identity of Final Five. And supposedly nobody knows who they are except Cavill the whole time, which doesn't make any sense. So, as I said, uh, they're only known to him. And they're a more ancient type of Cylon created by a previous iteration of human civilization. So, other plot lines involve the mysterious destiny of Kara Thrace, which I mentioned is just dumb... This, she's the subject of a prophecy claiming she's the harbing, uh, har, harbinger, har, harbinger, harbinger, the harbinger of death who will lead all humanity to its end, which uh, if anybody with half a brain could have figured out it's not the end, isn't they're all going to die, it's the end of their journey, which of course that's what it is. As well as the redemption of Gaius Baltar through the Cylon's monotheistic religion, although I don't think that's how he got redeemed, but whatever, after he becomes private within the fleet. 
in the final episodes. And here's where here we go. An inexplicably resurrected Carathrace. Yes, because they never explain it and it sucks. It's not deep, it's just stupid. Uh, leads the surviving humans and their silent allies to a new planet which Adama renames Earth. The first group of survivors settle in ancient Africa. The real Earth that the colonials had searched for during years in space was revealed in an earlier episode to have been originally inhabited thousands of years before by a previous form of humanoid Cylons. The final five were the last of these Cylons. Ironically, these humanoid Cylons created their own centurion robotic slaves <sighs> who waged a nuclear attack against their masters, devastating the planet, making it uninhabitable. The new Earth is found to be inhabited by early humans who are genetically compatible with the humans from the Galactica and the rest of the fleet, but who possess only the most rudimentary rudimentary civilization. The surviving humans and, and humanoid Cylons settle on the new planet Earth. They discard altered technology, which is dumb. So it's like 150,000 years before our the implication is our civilization. And I'm like, you're telling me we could have had faster than light travel and been able to explore our galaxy but some dipshit got here and said decided that technology was the problem and not shitty people like are you fucking kidding me like are you kidding me it's so horribly horribly stupid they discard they they dist- so they discard all the technology they 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 settle on the planet earth they discard all the technology they destroy the fleet by flying it into the sun in an attempt to break the human Cylon cycle of conflict and begin anew with tribal humans already present in the New Earth, which you knew wasn't going to happen because they already have all their own baggage. It's dumb. Their surviving Cylon centurions are given possession of the remaining base star and proceed to jump away from Earth. So they could be doing who knows what. And they're like, how do they know we won't come back and destroy us? Well, we don't. We'll just take that chance in a complete 180 from the rest of the show. In the final scenes, modern-day Earth humans are shown to be descendants of the colonists, their humanoid Cylon allies, and the early early humans. So mitochondrial Eve the, is said to be like, I can't even remember the daughter's name because I just don't care. Um, Hilo and Athena's daughter, the common ancestor of all. So we're all part Cylon. Uh, Christ. It's so stupid. Why would you, why would you like, I don't know how they got to technology is the issue. Lee makes this speech at the end. He's like somewhere along the way, like we decided we made all this technology and blah, blah, blah. And like all these things and we lost our souls. And I'm like, shut the fuck up. Like, that's so stupid. That's so stupid. And you're stupid for saying it. And this is stupid writing. I hate this series finale so much. It doesn't, it's best to try and ruin the whole show. Like, as I'm watching, I'm like, fuck this fucking episode. Like, it's so... I'm sorry for swearing so much, but it's so frustrating. Because this show could have been so much better. And I forgot to mention this in when I did the podcast with Mike of things that didn't stick the, and the landing. But this is prime example of a show that could not stick the landing. They botched this so hard, I cannot put it into words. At any rate, at the end of the series finale, an angelic Balter and Silent Number Six, because they're the two angels, walking down a sidewalk in modern-day New York City. They are unseen and heard by the people around them. They got a nice, cool. They at least got a cool cameo by Ronald D. Moore. He's reading the magazine. 
As the two walk, they notice technologically advanced robots, computers, and other cybernetic devices, and they talk about the technological advancements the humans have made since the colonists and the human silence first arrived to the Earth over 150,000 years earlier. Silent number six and Baltar have an exchange over one of the ongoing themes in the series. All this has happened before, but the question remains, does it, all this have to happen again? It's just such fucking navel-gazing. It's just Christ. Uh, and it's one of those things that's like, uh, they mention oh, all this technology and commerce and um, indulgence or something like that. You know, I'm like, technology is not the fucking problem. It never has been. People, people suck, okay? Technology is nothing but a tool. It's a tool that can be used in neither good nor evil. It can be used in either way. People suck. And people do shitty, selfish things. And if you want to, like, I don't get on a rant about my actual beliefs, but it's, oh, like, all this commerce and stuff. I'm like, yes, capitalism is bad. Next. Like, Christ, man. Like, ah, drives me insane. Uh, consequently, the revelation that Battlestar Galactica takes place in our collective prehistoric past means that unlike most space opera science fiction stories, the series is a fictional tale of ancient history rather than future history and serves as a fictional tale of origin for modern humanity, which is fucking dumb. And I've, I've mentioned why it's fucking dumb. And um, they threw away that technology for no reason. Um, it makes no sense that it's set in the past because... Um, I, the way the show in the earlier seasons presents it uh, gives you the um, impression that the cultures on these colonies evolved from a past, like a version of us, which would make way more sense. Way, 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 way more sense. Them being our ancestors is so monumentally stupid. I hated it so much. I hated it a hundred times more than I did the first time. So the first time I played off, I'm like, oh, the answer is God. That's why I didn't like it. No, the answer why I didn't like it is because it's fucking stupid. Like, thing, little things, too. Like, they had to... Okay. How come uh, Balter didn't know that uh, how, that Elm was one of the final five? Did, he didn't remember that? Because he, he tested her. She was one of the, 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 the tests that he did. They made a whole episode about it because they thought she was a silent right at the beginning. And he's like, oh, I'll never tell. Just so they could, like, what, make her a Cylon later? No, they didn't fucking think about it. They wrote themselves into a corner. It's like, you can't tell me that he wouldn't have remembered that. Uh, he totally would have. And by process of elimination, he would have known. I'm sorry, but that's a huge plot hole. Also, a whole the, the care traces arc is so fucking stupid. It doesn't make any sense. You making it mysterious doesn't make it mysterious. It just makes it bad. And they had to... so. They fly the fleet into the sun, destroying it. They had to take shuttles. They didn't have beaming technology like Star Trek. They had to take shuttles down. So if there are ancestors and 150,000 years have passed, how come we haven't found any records of it? Like, Adama settles in this, I'm assuming it's part of Scotland. Uh, I don't know, maybe. In Europe somewhere. uh, With a a, uh, raptor. And he because he, he's flying Rosalind around for that, you know, kind of big scene at the end. Very sad where she dies. Not because she dies, but because he's sad, as I mentioned earlier. But uh, he lands a spacecraft. So what does he do with that spacecraft after? Does he fly? You assume that they set it on autopilot, go back in, into space and fly into the sun? 
like him landing that happens after so how can we have zero evidence of this we can find fossils of dinosaurs from millions of years ago but we can't find any proof that like were the descendants of this um intergalactic space fleet 150,000 years that's stupid that's stupid 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 and i hate it and it's dumb and boy oh boy i'm I, again okay i'm coming down i'm sorry i got really mad <laughs> hopefully this is entertaining for you i don't know if it is but hopefully it is i just i really it just it's so frustrating it really is the show just could have been it hits such high heights that for them to have such low lows, it's just like the end of the show, especially it's just, it's, it's so disappointing. Uh, the whole thing about the opera house with, um, Baltar and six and, uh, the president and, uh, Athena searching for Hera. I think the daughter is, I don't care. doesn't matter that whole plot line, which they built up for almost for like two, three seasons means nothing in the end it means absolutely nothing all it is is a vehicle for baltar to do something selfless that's it it has almost it has basically no impact on the end uh it's a plot thread that goes nowhere um i pointed out several other things it's just too much that you can just pull on and it falls apart that's the problem with this show there's too many threads that you can just pull on and fall apart when it sings oh it's a plus and it's just it, chef's kiss when they put the thought into it and think ahead. But so many times they don't. And it just collapsed in on itself by the time I got to the end of the show. There's some really good moments. Like I said, uh, Kara learning that song and everybody recognize it. Goosebumps. When the f uh, four of the final five find out who they are, goosebumps. Um, Baltar's trial is great. The mutiny is great. Uh, one of the first episodes where... 36 or 38 or something where the Cylons attack them every 38 like however many minutes it was I think 38 that's excellent TV like all that stuff is really good the black market episode is really good like there's so much good and it just gets weighed down by this bullshit religious nonsense that ends up making no sense and brings the finale down a lot so in summary overall the bulk like overall this show i'd probably give it like a six maybe a seven it's above average for sure because it shines a lot in places but it just it keep it gets knocked down so much for me and the, the end is really really badly i would recommend it and especially if you're religious you'll probably actually like this show a lot um especially if you're christian because they talk about the one true god and all that kind of stuff and Baltar's basically space jesus by the end of it but yeah, if you like I said, if you're religious or spiritual at all, you'll probably really like it. If you're not, you're and if you're an atheist like me, especially, you're gonna have a hard time choking down a lot of the spiritual crap and the religious crap. Uh, and if you don't, if you don't mind knowing where it's going and the ending is bad, there's a lot to be had here, I think. And overall, I'd say like it's one of the better science fiction shows. It's just it could have been so much better. Uh, so overall. I sort of, I kind of like it, but I also kind of hate a lot of it too, <laughs> which is, it's, it's, it's really interesting to me. It's one of those shows that evokes a really passionate reaction from me. Um, even though uh, there's a lot of other shows I like a lot better, like Deep Space Nine and Babylon 5, because they actually had uh, foresight 
and know what knew what they wanted to do with the overall show. And and it's so I'm sorry if this sounds really negative. It 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 isn't meant to be. Like I said, I've, there's a lot of the stuff I really enjoyed. It's just it, there's a lot of stuff that just weighs it down for me. But overall, like I said, I would recommend it, and especially if you're religious. So with all that said, thanks for joining us this week. Please like, comment, subscribe if you're able. Rate the podcast wherever you listen. Or if there's something you really want to talk about, email me at conferculture at gmail.com. That's C-O-N-F-E-R-C-U-L-T-U-R-E at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Chris, and this has been Confer Culture.